0: Hi, to Lacks. This is Kim Sanklip Harvey, and you are listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of TICE, The Indigenous Cultural Evolutionist. On this episode, I'll be reading a blog post about the government sanctioning of the over of Indigenous peoples. I'll be discussing Canadian state police brutality. I'll be sharing with you some insights into my artistic creation practice with my next play, Break Horizons, which will bring us into my theories on Indigenous mystic science and their intersectional relationisms between quantum mechanics and Western astrophysics. I'll also be sharing my investigations into the Indigenous ideologies of rocks being knowledge beings, and rock and roll and cosmic vibrations being evidence that the universe and ancestors are in constant communication with us. We'll end this episode with a reading of an excerpt from my play. So close the hatch and let's launch into the Indigenous Cultural Evolutionist, the Break Horizons, a rocking Indigenous justice ceremony episode. The concepts of Break Horizons are universally massive in size. And yet, the microscopic intricacies and details that I need to learn, engage, and curate for this ceremony and even this episode are detailed um, to a level that really pushes me. Break Horizons is vastly different than Kamloopa in terms of its creation process and, in particular, its content and. I consciously did that. One, because I say this ceremony is one I've been dreaming of since I was a kid. And two, because the concepts are not, quote, proven or are ones that when I'm theorizing about them, they push your brain. Quantum mechanics pushes your brain. But before we get into all of that, I just wanted to give a little briefing on the uh, journey and the voyage of this episode. The first half, we're going to be talking about... Uh, The Stream of Break, which is about Indigenous jurisprudence, the philosophy of law, and the way imperialism has oppressed Western notions of law and, quote, justice onto us, which has resulted in Indigenous women being the fastest growing population uh, being incarcerated by the Canadian state. And then the second half, we're going to be talking about my theories and understandings and intersections of Indigenous mystical science and quantum mechanics and astrophysicism. These two elements are probably the largest streams within break horizons and then something that encases it all, the kind of container or framework, is this notion of rock and material being knowledge holders via the land, transformer rocks, streams, mountains, the cosmos, and that communication, the transportation of knowledge, happens via vibrations. But we'll get into that in a little bit. On March 16th, 2020, I posted a blog entitled The Costs of Confinement, Ordered and Asked. I wrote, many people are finding the structures and impacts of social distancing and self-isolation challenging. This morning, I saw a wave on social media, people really struggling to ground themselves, which is hard to bear witness, especially when many employers and academic institutions are hellbent on carrying ahead with no responsiveness to the increased workload and stress of many community members. So as an offer of my experience in work, I tweeted, I can feel the shift happening. Things are gonna get real productive this week. In theater, I call it landing. I won't do a first read, won't ask actors and designers to dig in until we've landed. That usually takes three to six days to arrive to new environments, and that is this pandemic. It's a new environment. But we're getting there. I find it's a combination of physical and cognitive workouts mixed with ceremony, which can be smudging, sweats, forest baths, meditation, deep thinking sessions, and family gatherings, which result in the spiritual arrival necessary to do good work. Honor that our spirits travel differently, boundlessly, and we must nourish them to our present elders told me we the silk call them back by saying our name three times so they know where to go we then continue ceremony to steward their safe return mine is arriving i feel it if you're feeling anxious and unable to concentrate on a task call your spirit back your body is trying to get your spirit to this new environment presence it refuse the shame of being quote unproductive your body is doing great work combobulating itself deep love I go on to write in the blog, landing, grounding, presencing our spirits in time of change, especially when it's tumultuous, requires deliberate attention, patience, and loving effort. I honor those still journeying, I am too. I can feel myself coming fully to this present, but something might happen and it might get delayed and I'm gonna honor that, I need to respect that. An elder told me that I need to thank my spirit every day. For it works so hard for me even when i don't feel like putting in the effort my spirit is always working for me and my safety it's gotten me through every challenge of my life so far and i need to be grateful and it needs that love when i talk about self-love this is the attention and nourishing i'm speaking of our spirits are working their essences off to keep us safe and healthy and we need to bear witness to that work with thoughts and words of gratitude and graciousness. A negative self-narrative starves a spirit's health, and we don't want to starve something that so needs much love, nourishment, and honoring. Meditating on this really got me thinking about what does confinement do to a person? If this is long-term, what will it do to our spirits? How does it impact our health? What happens in sustained environments that are designed to crush a spirit? What happens in prisons? What happens in solitary confinement? If we are anxious, uncomfortable, and struggling with, what, a week of social distancing, what are adults in custody enduring? With Indigenous women being the fastest growing Canadian incarcerated population, I think it's our responsibility to trouble Indigenous, Black, and people of colour imprisonment. I've been doing a lot of research for BREAK and I read in a report with the feds that about 88% of Indigenous Femmes, AICs, adults in custody, are victims of physical and or sexual abuse. That's almost 9 out of 10 of the incarcerated population who are victims of serious trauma. And if you know how trauma works, you know that without therapy, supported and ongoing healing, trauma metastasizes. The pain and problems begin to double and grow and so the trauma harm to self and others becomes a social positioning of offense and reoffending because AICs are people in deep pain without the tools to break the trauma cycle. As a, survival, as a survivor of intergenerational trauma, someone who's been diagnosed and recovered from PTSD, I know the truth of this. I know how integral psychotherapy is to getting the tools to live with health and balance. These women, these femmes, these matriarchs need our help, not jail. They need healing lodges. There are a total of nine lodges in Canada, four run by CSC and five by primarily Indigenous community partners. They are restorative justice focused and about rehabilitation. The rate of recidivism, which is a fancy word for reoffending, is remarkably low for healing lodges, 6% compared to almost double at 11% at traditional prisons. Healing Lodges have only been operating in Canada since 1995, so the quantitative data on their effectiveness is not comprehensive, but the people I've talked to who run them, work there, and are in them are astoundingly positive. Quantitative data in support for Healing Lodges is incredibly high. There's a great article that gets into the complexity of reporting data alone that I strongly encourage you to check out. You can go to my blog and visit it. It's a global article called Healing Lodges. It's not whether they work, but how well research shows by Jesse Ferreras. Vicky Chartrand, a Bishop's University sociology professor who is focused on Indigenous incarceration, says, quote, When settlers colonized Indigenous lands, the people were dispossessed of many aspects of their way of life. In many ways, the prison took over when assimilation policies failed or receded, end quote. Prisons have become the state tool and system for Indigenous genocide. There is no doubt about this. It's the state systemic removal of Indigenous peoples with a focus on Indigenous matriarchs from our peoples, communities, and remember, it always comes back to the land. For the state has always known that the way to break an Indigenous person is to take us away from our territories, the land where our spirits are deeply connected. To break an Indigenous person, you take away their ability to listen to the land, you take away their language. To break an Indigenous person, isolate them from their culture, community, and kin. Prisons are efficient modalities to accomplish this. They are the ultimate spirit crushers. Not only are they effective imperial systems of oppression, they are guised under the operative that, quote, they protect the public. It's well known that prisons cause more trauma and are not restorative justice focused. They are punishment focused. Many, prisons, many prison reform experts challenge the state propaganda that prisons, quote, protect the public, end quote, because they actually result in more traumatized individuals being released into the public, which is far more dangerous. There are reports that people have, quote, escaped from healing lodges, but in many, almost all cases, the adults in custody have been peacefully captured and are returned on their own accord. I don't ever hear about that happening in fucking prisons. Prisons are economic generators designed to uphold indigenous oppression. Healing lodges are designed to create environments and opportunities for AICs to address the trauma and heal. Not only are healing lodges the humane and safer approach, they cost us less. In a report... On summarizing prison costs, it states it can cost up to, quote, $250,000 per year per woman for a traditional prison. But to house a woman in a healing lodge, it's approximately $160,000. Alkima Ochi, the most expensive healing lodge for women in Canada, had a uh, 2017 operating cost of $8.9 million. In comparison, the Grand Valley Institute for Women in Kitchener, Ontario has a 2017 operating cost of $27 million. Healing Lodge, $8.9 million. Grand Valley Institute Traditional Prison? 27. Now, again, because the reporting on healing lodges is not as comprehensive as it should be, there are numbers that are saying that healing lodges are more expensive. But they're also running on smaller institutions like running any small business. The ratios make straight comparative analysis problematic. There's also not enough studies on the fiscal savings of healing lodges' low rates of recidivism, which skews the data, especially when it comes to statistical analysis. What we as community members can do is our due diligence on healing lodges and trouble the dogmatic notions that traditional punishment-driven prisons are what we as citizens want to be paying for, supporting, and upholding. We need to be asking our MLAs about their stances on jurisprudence and whether they support restorative justice like healing lodges, or do they support the violence and imperialism, crime and punishment prisons that we currently have majority ruling. It's quite simple for me. As a person who's endured trauma, I would have died in a traditional imperial prison. The framework, isolation, and the constant high alert, I would die. I find solitary confinement to be abhorrent and a form of cruel and unusual punishment. Neurologists neurologists say that within 60 seconds of solitary confinement, the the brain is negatively impacted. 60 seconds. Some adults in custody are in there for months and some for years. Most because traditional prisons are not set up to protect AICs so they can put in solitary, quote, for their own safety. Prisons have not evolved since medieval times, and we are all responsible for upholding and supporting them. When we are being asked to confine ourselves, confine and quarantine ourselves during this pandemic, and a lot of us are struggling, I think it's our humane responsibility to think about those who have been positioned and oppressed into judicial confinement in a time when fear is enticing us to collapse inwards and disconnect. I wanna be brave and reach, think, and look out. I think our survival and the healing lives and the connection with those who desperately and urgently need our support to break out of the confines and positioning of the oppressive Canadian's imperial system of law. Otherwise, I believe if we don't do this work, I believe we will be bonded through our shared suffering and collective misery. The Dalai Lama says, quote, all human beings, whatever their cultural or historical background, suffer when they are intimidated, imprisoned, or tortured. We must therefore insist on a global consensus, not only on the need to respect human rights worldwide, but also on the definition of these rights. For it is the inherent nature of all human beings to yearn for freedom, equality, and dignity. And they all have an equal right to achieve that with a desire to connect and bear witness to all those struggling and incarcerated. Deep love, Kim. P.S. Here are some more links if you're interested in learning more about the incarceration systems we uphold, and I link to a bunch of important and necessary articles for you to go and read and check out on my website. As I mentioned in the intro, the genesis of Break Horizons as a Justice ceremony came from the CBC segment I heard in the end of 2018, where what I just really remember, and I kind of went into a state of like shock and curiosity and like mental spiritual exploration. I just kind of drifted into this understanding that I was just told that the fastest growing population of incarcerated people in Canada is Indigenous women. I could not understand, or I was saddened because now I, I, I think deep down I, I did understand because of the studies that I was doing around matriarchy and the oppression uh, that patriarchy has done against indigenous uh, femme and matriarchal energy systems and frameworks that have existed pre-contact, why the state and why we uh, the canadian state and state agents aka canadians were locking up indigenous women at such an alarming rate i wanted to when i started voyaging into this kind of violence of law and trying to understand the difference between imperial law and indigenous jurisprudence which is a different philosophy of law and what i really decided that i wanted to be working towards as the impact of the ceremony because ceremonies um, impact and engage with the witnesses with the people who enter it and for me it had to be and it has to be an exchange of knowledge a transformation and an activation because for me especially with the you know what are they calling uh, the black rebellion and the black spring occurring right now um rebelling against police brutality, rebelling against state violence, rebelling against the incarceration of black people. And there are some alarming statistics in my research that I'm finding out that there are more black people incarcerated in the States than there were amount of slaves during, uh, the slave, uh, genocide, the slave era. And just like right now, there are more indigenous people in prison than there were indigenous young people, um, in the genocide residential schools at the height of that genocide program so the state imperial have been attacking black and indigenous people since their arrival through many various forms of genocide programs and state sanctioned tactics i was piqued interest when it came to the fact that I don't believe many people really understand how complicit we are in upholding these genocide programs which include uh, imperial incarceration prisons. This is a this ceremony is a living commission between the Arts Club Theater and the Citadel and it's held in a living treaty which you can find more about that on my website. But It's incredibly important for me to understand as a creator who's creating a ceremony in relationship to people and institutions to understand who is going to be coming to the ceremony, who is going to be engaging with it, and how can I leverage and utilize this opportunity to help emancipate and liberate Indigenous peoples. And for me, what I recognized here, and I'm, you know, saturating myself in interim reports and, uh, you know podcasts like Ear Hustle who are amplifying the voices of people who are incarceration, who are adults in custody, AICs, and I'm recognizing that we not only need to, you know, dismantle and abolish prisons, we need to create a culture that understands that prisons are a form of cruel and unusual punishment. And what I realized is that if I kept digging in and then journeying through and I kind of say I fall into these larger questions and impulses of why I create so that I can land on a mission statement for the ceremony an impact statement for activation what I recognized break needed to be was the emancipation from the personal prisons that imperial neo-colonial capitalism has enshackled us and locked us in we need to free ourselves you know which goes beyond race culture and creed from the harmful cultures deliberately used by imperialism to keep everyone but the oligarch oppressed tactics and prisons of fear you know using shame as a form of self-harm egoic you know ways of being and violence as a normative construction of society. I believe that if I free ourselves from these spiritual and mental shackles, the result will be a society where we don't just dismantle and deconstruct prisons, but we have a culture of people who would never build them in the first place. When I first started investigating and conjuring break, interest in abolishing prisons and looking at imperial law and, quote, justice, the systems of imperial law were not, not in any way on the media or public radar to the extent that they are now. It was one of the reasons why I chose and I felt like it was being called to give amplification to the incarceration of indigenous uh, women peoples because of how little people understood it. And I was very challenged by this idea, you know, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm writing something about prisons, you know, I'm setting it in a place where, you know, freedom and artistic articulation and you know, expression of lived real and artistic movement is quite confined and to be honest nobody really wants to talk about the guilt we all have for the oppression of indigenous black and people of color in incarceration systems because we all feel so guilty. When I first started talking about this play, this artistic ceremony, people just kind of gave me this look like, you just wrote Kamloopa, like a joyous, happy ceremony, and now you want to talk about judicial reform? And I said, yeah, not only do I want to write a show that I hope can sell tickets about judicial reform, uh, I also want to add quantum mechanics to this situation. <laughs> and I said, that's the challenge I want. I don't want to write about things that have already really been written of, held in frameworks that are, you know, used. I wanted to push myself. But I think it's incredibly important and necessary for me to talk about uh what's happening in the state of affairs of the world because if I'm gonna totem my work I want to totem where it lives within the climate. And I came upon this article by Natasha Simpson from the Taid entitled Canada has Race-Based Police Violence Too, we don't know how much. And I was like, huh. She goes on to say it's not just a US problem. Canada needs a national database for police use of force and deaths. And she goes on to write, Days after George Floyd was killed by a white Minneapolis police officer, Nike released an ad saying, quote, For once, don't do it. Don't pretend there's not a problem in America, end quote. The video was a blunt demand for Americans to reject systemic racism and police brutality. Canadian viewers need another version. Quote, Don't do it. Don't pretend that America is the only country with a problem, end quote. Racism is everywhere, and Canada and Canadian police forces are no exception. She goes, on a regular basis, Canadians see evidence of the racial violence. Uh, Floyd's death is tragically a commonplace in the U.S. Black people are three times more likely to be killed by police than white people. But in this country, there is no official national record of the number of people killed during encounters with police. Police departments do not routinely release detailed statistics about use of force. When they do, it's not collected based on race, ethnicity, or other critical factors. Which, if you're listening to this, is very problematic. She goes on to write, when there could be information that would help identify and eliminate racism and law enforcement, there's only a void. Available statistics are the product of individual reports and studies by researchers, rights organizations, and journalists. I can totally empathize with that when I was trying to aggregate data for that previous post on the statistics of healing lodges versus incarceration. It is complex and difficult and murky and sludgy. Um, the article goes on to say, and they suggest that black, indigenous, and other racialized people are also at much greater risk in Canada. The CBC set to compile a database of every person who died or was killed during a police intervention from 2000 to the end of 2017. Researchers gathered information on race and ethnicity from a variety of sources and found black and indigenous people were severely overrepresented. If you're a black or indigenous person, you already knew that. Anyway, she goes on to write in Winnipeg, for example, indigenous people made up about 10.6% of the city's population in that period, but more than 60% of the people who died in police encounters were indigenous. In April, Winnipeg police officers shot and killed three indigenous people in 10 days. In Toronto, black people accounted for 37% of victims. They make up slightly more than 8% of the population. Other reports show similar patterns. In November 2019, the Globe and Mail reported that between 2007 and 17, more than one third of people shot to death by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were indigenous. Indigenous people make up less than 5% of the population. And according to a study by the Ontario Human Rights Commission, Black Torontonians are 20 times more likely to be shot by police than the city's white residents. Last week, Regis Korchiski Paquette, a 29-year-old black woman, died after her mother called Toronto police and asked them to take her daughter to the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health. During her encounter... Paquette fell from a 24th floor apartment balcony. Her family member said that before she fell, she was calling to her mother for help, and this incident is being investigated by Ontario Special Investigations Unit. The writer of this article goes, I'm a police officer's daughter. I know that defending innocent people against violent criminals is a dangerous job and that in doing their jobs, officers sometimes encounter impossible and deadly situations. That's why they have the legal right to use force when facing serious injury or death. But lethal force is supposed to be a last resort in life or death situations, not a result of racism. She goes on to write and... And say at the end here, Canada needs a national database that tracks instances of use of deadly force by police officers. And the data needs to be broken down by gender, location, and race. Police departments and the RCMP need to release use of force statistics. Racism kills, and America is not the only country with a problem. Thank you, Natasha Simpson. At the TAI, the article was called Canada has race-based police violence too. We don't know how much. I think for me, one of the reasons why I continue to believe that BREAK is vital work for me to be investigating, researching, and amplifying is for many reasons that Natasha is saying. Canada does a incredible job of hiding statistics, hiding accountability, and shirking transparency when it comes to police violence, state brutality, and the incarceration of black, indigenous, and people of color. I've said it before on Twitter and I'll say it again. Right below Canada's greatest universal global propaganda mantra that Canadians are nice, right below that propaganda, is that Canadians have somehow finished their genocide. That somehow we pretend that it's not still occurring with children in foster care, with the apprehension of our children, with uh, incarceration of indigenous women, indigenous peoples, the genocide is still happening. Their systems of eradicating and killing indigenous peoples are still functioning at very high, swift levels. And it's state propaganda for us to not understand that this is occurring at the rates they are. And I believe that break is my responsibility To share this knowledge just like the black rebellion and the incredible black community right now are making it indisputable that white supremacy and anti-blackness is omnipresent in north america indisputable so for me break becomes these intersections of science spiritualism and jurisprudence and i'll get into that on the next segment Let's talk about the rocking part of the justice ceremony. So, for me, in honoring the people who will be coming to the ceremony, the witnesses, or as some uh, Western notions call them, audience members, as the witnesses come to the ceremony, One, I jokingly said, talking about indigenous jurisprudence ain't the sexiest. Talking about prison reform is not always something people want to spend their Friday nights doing. And, you know, as I add the icing of astrophysicism, uh, who in creator's name is giving me any money to write this? (laughs) And I really deeply, humbly sat when I was kind of conjuring up this concept, these Um, societal instances of violence and uh, oppression of liberty that we need to be talking about we absolutely need to talk about this but how we talk about it is I think for me where my artistic practice comes in because we have a real opportunity here to use the theatrical nature of storytelling to engage and elicit vulnerability and bravery within ourselves as a collective. I also believe that we need to have a sense of radical empathy and understanding before we will go out of our way to inconvenience ourselves. And for me, how that worked on Kemlupa was humor and comedy and joy and joke, I said every joke pulled a brick away from the armor we wear to engage in imperial society, which really tries to hurt us on a daily basis. And so I tried to create a, a women's lodge in that theater of a space for us to all be vulnerable and safe. And I used comedy, really centering that, to elicit those um, actions and articulations, those spiritual movements, and and. Um, ignitions and with break there are two things going on here and if you're still listening creator love you because we're going to dive into it two theories going on here one teachings and beings are trapped in the rock via our transformers and when we look into the land and we say everything back to the land the land will teach us that I wanted to investigate, what did that mean? So I've been really looking at the theory around knowledge and transformers as ongoing teaching tools and reading the Stolo Atlas, around how um, the Honorable Stephen Point talks about nature being our constitution, that the Stolo people were guided by nature's laws, and the understanding of, in quantum mechanics and physics, western scientists who are looking for this concept of universal order this unifying principle that ties us all together and i'm trying to break and smash these two concepts together so the one concept is that teachings are held in the land and in the rock and then when i was looking at rocks and i was looking at when i go to these sacred sites and these transformer sites um i was just visiting two of them up on the sokoteen how cognition dissipates and spiritual vibrations amplify and accelerate and take over which brings me back to Eckhart Tolle's concept that um, inspired ideas come from a place beyond thought and I really started investigating that and and voyaging into what that meant. Inspired ideas come from a place beyond thought. Imperial ontology, imperial literally epistemology ways of thinking is that thinking is how we govern everything that we do. That a good idea is a good idea and that it should be enacted and executed. That We have to cognitively, which is also ableist, we have to Westernly cognitively understand a concept to have any impact or have any rationale or, quote, proof to um, rationalize an action. But Tolle says inspired ideas come from a place beyond thought, which when I was looking at these sacred sites, I felt my pulse change i felt my body change i feel the energy emanating from these transformer sites which are dimensionally boundary blurring full of teachings and concepts and i just thought what is this oh this is there's a vibration there's a vibration of exchange happening here that goes way beyond my humble imperial cognitive comprehension And it got me thinking about, oh, this is vibrational. When you think about ceremony with drums, with physical movement, with fire, with heat. You know, I've been helping my cousin and I run a sweat up on Anaheim and really investigating what ceremony is on a visceral level and recognizing that it comes back to a vibration, which relates and correlates to Western astrophysicism with regards to um, like waves, sound waves, and how vibrations are basically the ingredients to how we know the universe is being impacted or being stretched. So, put a pause in that notion. Just remember... Ceremony, vibrations, rock, inspired thinking comes from a place beyond thought. But Break is about the intersections of Western astrophysicism and indigenous mystical science and our ideologies with regards to what indigenous uh, creation stories, cosmologies, and technologies are. My theory is that Quantum Leap is deeply related to indigenous ontological understandings of time. And quantum leap is this kind of discontinuous transition between quantum states. So an electron can jump into another energy level behind, beyond and or through time. And quantum leap, this kind of quantum mechanics, uh, they can't understand it. They don't know why that happens. It doesn't follow the laws of gravity within this third dimension, Um There are many amazing theories about that, but what I just want you to keep thinking about is this concept of quantum leap, which is Western fact, like quote fact, that it's this discontinuous transition between states that an electron will literally jump to another energy level without traveling through space or time. And I believe that relates to indigenous understandings that we can collapse into our spirits and traverse dimensions, that our spirits can go from one place in space to another, and that the spirit can leap time, not unlike the electron, which is what I play with a lot of my ceremonies, that we traverse time like electrons do in quantum leap. I go on to believe that this theory is connected to Black holes, which are shortcuts through space and time via these wormholes or Einstein-Rosen bridges, and that the event horizon breaking through that is breaking through this imperial notion of time and break horizons. Uh, is a kind of play on words that we break through the event horizon and in theory and in framework we enter when we come into the theater when we come into the ceremony we are entering an event horizon and the ceremony breaks us through that now in the western paradigm reading this indigenous one, it's, inextric- and it's inextricable when it comes to cosmic truths that we're all kind of trying to find this kind of universal order or understanding. And, you know, I believe that imperialism is this kind of topical and nom- nominal, really nominal attempt, even though in it's, it's very violent in the grand sch- scheme of uni- the universal order and cosmic existence. It's nominal in its attempt to oppress nature's law and that will continue violently but ultimately imperial law imperial justice this very baby 400 year old thing which is trying to oppress indigenous people will always fail because what Is the only constant, what is really the only order is that of the universe and that of nature. And that until we as humans in our earthly, Western, humane society understand that, we're trying to beat and kill the planet earth we're trying to kill one another using these you know conjured imperial systemic societal laws when the only order the only rules the only things that determine and justify and impact us is universal order and so Everyone's like, Kim, how do we know or understand or, quote, prove this concept of vibrations and communications in universal order? And for me, I go into LIGO. In a lot of my investigations into the cosmos and the quantum universe, I'm looking for relations that connect indigenous mystical science and western uh, astrophysics to find similarities and congruence versus differences that push us apart the reason that i'm attracted and i feel like i'm being called to indigenous and western science into relations is because i believe we're actually speaking a lot of the same language I wrote on May 5th on Facebook, I'm deep in research and thinking about how our world ultimately lives and falls by nature's constitutions. That world order is guarded by the laws of the universe. They supersede all human created systems of jurisprudence. Their power is enforced honorably, but by what forces? I'm thinking about indigenous contributions locked in rock, grounding my ways of being in the stories of justice held in the land, the many transformers powerfully teaching us throughout the Salish nations how to live in a good way. Rock, justice, nature's laws. And so the rocking part of it came from this concept about what is locked in the rock when we look into the rock and what vibrations do the land give off that the universe catches and what is that relationship between rock land and the universe so if we're using this understanding of quantum leap i also base the fact that shifters can jump dimensions via the notion of quantum leaping and indigenous uh, travel of collapsing in time because time is a construct and understanding that jurisprudence and reform prison reform and um quantum physics aren't the sexiest of topics you know what is something that I love and that also finds congruencies between uh, communities that may seem separated? Rock and fucking roll. And so I played with this concept, this layering of uh, ideologies of science, indigenous teachings and in lo- in rock and land, and then are um, familiar and actually quite powerful uh relationship between rock and roll between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples. And so the whole now ceremony became a rocking indigenous justice ceremony because I believe that music is a part of this notion that inspired Thinking comes, us, our inspired ideas come from a place beyond thinking. And that when we listen to music, when we participate in ceremony, we are being hit and inundated with cosmic offers of vibrations to transform these bodies, to impact our spirits, to then ignite a thinking that allows us to move beyond cognitive, rational, proof, um, scientific method-like um, creation, understanding, epistemologies. I ran across this very interesting article um, called Why Alcatraz Matters to Native Americans by Julian Brave NoiseCap. and it reads, 50 years ago, the occupation of the island put Indians' rights on the national agenda. 50 years ago, on November 20th in 1969, a group of Indigenous activists known as the Indians of all tribes arrived at this formal federal prison in San Francisco Bay. They would occupy it for a year and a half, protesting the government's mistreatment of Native people, including a policy known as termination that took tribes, land and attempted to eliminate their sovereign status. The activists moved into the buildings that had housed prison wardens and guards, claimed Alcatraz for all Native American people, and scrolled a message on the tower that read peace and freedom welcome home of the free indian land and alcatraz so that's the part of the article that i want to share and for me alcatraz is also known as like the rock and there are many understanding and every time i dive into my research for break these intersections of rock and indigenous justice and prison and transformation exist and so I was researching on the concept, too, of, okay, so how do we enter this? You know, if an event horizon, nobody knows what happens. You know, there's theories around, you know, the um, uh, Einstein-Rosenbridge theory, the wormhole theory. You know, when I look at my favorite movies that kind of uh, delve into this area, like, I kind of say to people, the end of Interstellar is what the end of 2001 Space Odyssey wanted to but didn't have the technology to. Kevin Kerr was saying, and it was probably one of my most honored pieces of feedback that he believes... Break Horizon gave him, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey vibes because we're pushing past this notion of linear time, more towards quantum leap, more towards wormhole theories. You know, other movies I really enjoy watching, Arrival, which really deconstructs the notion of time as not being linear, I love Contact and Phenomenon and Apollo 13. These are all my favorite movies that I kind of watch over and over again. And I was trying to understand that the crux of these stories or where the general public struggle to follow through these theorism and spiritual journeys is, quote, fact or proof that imperial ontology requires proof for something to be real whereas indigenous ontology is that it's spiritual it's felt it's personal and the quote proof the rationale we don't even really i don't i don't from my teachings we use that it's this sort of embodied knowing or teaching but i stumbled upon in my black hole theory and my quantum leap theory uh the story of ligo so uh, I'm reading from the LIGOcaltech.edu website, um, which LIGO stands for the Laser Inferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And this reads that gravitational waves sent out from a pair of colliding black holes have been converted to sound waves. As heard in this animation, on September 14th in 2015, LIGO observed gravitational waves from the merger of two black holes, each about 30 times the mass of the sun. The incredible powerful event was released 50 times more energy than all the stars in the observable universe, and it lasted only fractions of a second. In the first two runs of the animation, the sound wave frequencies exactly match the frequencies, and then they speed it up so we can kind of hear it again. And it reads as the black hole spirals closer and closer together the frequency of the gravitational wave increases and scientists call these sound chirps because some events that generate gravitational waves could sound like a bird chirp i was also watching a documentary on netflix talking about this Where this particular event of LIGO, these, um, I'm just looking up on a tab on my phone because I have it open. I believe this is Magnus, the black hole, uh, oh, Cygnus X1. So Cygnus X1 was also another black hole that was studied to prove, um, sorry, a dying star to prove that black holes existed. So anybody want to hear billion-of-year-old black holes colliding that chirped for us in 2015? Anybody? Okay, let me just get it hooked up on my computer. So that first part was at a lower frequency and the second one that 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 second part was what the astrophysicists are calling the chirp that was heard because it literally warped and impacted the fabric of the universe. So if you were ever a kid like me in like kindergarten who would ask their teachers yeah but like what's beyond the universe and then your teacher would just look at you like you're that kid I you're that kid. This notion of these two black holes having such power, literally warping the universe, gave me this feeling of expansion and encompassing that I'm very much interested in. And the fact that this action is again vibrational and now musical. So Break Horizons, my framework for this is that we're going to use this notion of Bending time through quantum leap and indigenous um, understandings of time being a construct and that we can time shift via our spirits. That these teachings, because I'm creating some creation stories about how Earth even came to be because the universe was born and then the cosmos and then many things and then Earth. So I'm going to be sharing Earth's creation story in the artistic ceremony And that also that through that creation, all of the teachings were left in the land, in the rock. And then eventually when the earth, humans were basically having a assault on earth's climate. And the earth was going to be destroyed. The kind of beings of the universe decided to put the information of the world and the universe in indigenous people's blood. And that is where break takes place. I'm going to bend our comfort of comfort and i'm going to push our understandings of western science and indigenous mysticism and i am very excited for all of you to come and bear witness to finish this episode I'm going to be reading to you a scene from the Artistic Ceremony of Break Horizons. Mass Program, Round 2. The Salish sisters are all in the sacred room. W, Y, and Z are on their feet in the middle of the half circle. X and Scarlet are watching with Harriet. They are acting out a scene that W has, quote, written about how she got here. They have pages in hand. W starts her delivery timidly and builds confidence. Y is well, and Z is monotone. W, no, I do not want to buy any of your illicit drugs. Y, eat the drugs. Zed gives a face. Y, I mean buy the drugs. Zed, do drugs with us. They are so much great fun. Z pretends to use a bong or shoot up or some illicit behavior. Zed goes, snap, this feels amazing. So... So good these drugs are. W gets more into it. Moves into melodrama. W, drugs are bad. X starts laughing. W, quiet Stolo. Harriet gives X a look. Y goes on. You should not only do the drugs. You should sell them to make monies. W, welp, I am super poors. said. we can also provide protection from the streets. The bad, bad streets. She rolls her eyes. W, protection. Zed, yes, we know you are alone, and if you join our gang, not only will you be able to buy purses and sushi, you won't die. W, well, I don't want to die. W, I'm in. Y and Z scream. Hooray, yeah, woot. Zed, cool as ice. We hear you're also the best, most sexiest drag performer in the world. Can you teach us how to be dragtastic like you? W, girl, boy, sachet with me. She twirls out. W, and scene. They start bowing and curtsying and joy- Zed sits down immediately. X goes, whoa, lots of good. Harriet, who's the facilitator of the mass program at the Healing Lodge and is also a shifter in disguise, says, Thank you, everyone. Truly, thank you. Just, wow. X. Yeah. Talk about exposing yourselves. Harriet asks, So do you want to speak a bit about why you wanted to share this particular part of your story with us? W. Kerr, sure. So basically, it's like, I don't want to die. Next. Harriet, right. Yes, not dying. Hmm. Does this sentiment resonate with anyone else? W, I don't know about resonating, but I sure feel the same way. X says, me too. Word. Scarlet says, yeah. Harriet, but you know joining a gang and dealing drugs is illegal and there are consequences to these actions. W goes, consequences? Creator, save us. W starts to get anxious and vapes a lot. Harriet, there's no vaping in the sacred room. W, well, there's also no stupid questions. Harriet, I feel some anger. The other Salish women start to get nervous, uncomfortable, restless, and copper starts to heat. X goes, wrong approach, H-money. Harriet, pardon? W, do you think I'm some kind of moron? No, oh my god, not at all. Then don't talk to me like a fucking moron. W stares H down. X gets up and heads to the medicine table. W, don't talk to me like I had any fucking choice, okay? Harriet, interesting you bring up the idea of choices, W. Interesting, isn't it? The shadows five are starting to heat up. Copper glows. The ancestors come out of the blood and up to the skin. W is vaping hard. Harriet, I think it's incredibly important that we consciously reflect on the decisions we've made in our life. And W says, decisions, eh? Harriet goes, yes. W goes, choices, huh? X has started a smudge bowl and starts to frantically smudge the situation. Harriet, I think we can just take a deep breath here, and X is drive by smudging people. They are pushing her away. W, deep fucking breath. You're on and on about getting fucking deep. You can't even see the problems right here. W slaps her skin, hits her head, brushes her hand down her face. You can't even fucking see it. H comes over to W and offers her a smudge. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. H backs off and goes to the medicine table and grabs some cedar boughs and starts brushing herself off harriet i see you i do w how the fuck you even say that you have no idea what you're even looking at x starts drive by cedar brushing the salish five she starts to get harriet and starts brushing her super hard harriet goes i I know that everyone in this room has gone through an extraordinary amount and being here is a a celebration the Salish sisters are not impressed with the talk Harriet is going on about. X continues to cedar brush Harriet and starts focusing on her face. It starts to get strange. Harriet, I mean not like a celebration. I mean W, you think this is some kind of birthday party? W stands up. X is still aggressively cedar brushing Harriet. W, you think this is some kind of sell a fucking bration W takes a step into the circle. You wanna know what's a fucking celebration? X stops cedar brushing Harriet but ended up on her face. She's gotta shoo her away to get the cedar away. Harriet. Uh, tell, tell us w looks out to the witnesses w you want to know that we're still fucking alive that every indigenous woman femme and matriarch is here w looks to the sailor sisters she sees all of their beauty perseverance w starts to see their ancestors arrive w the fact that any of us are here breathing working is a goddamn fucking miracle she paces around the circle no it's not a miracle it's our birthright That you Shemas, you white folk, have been trying to take us, take away from us for over 400 years. We have been fighting for our fucking lives, working to just stay alive. This might look like failure to you, but if a state was waging war against your families for 400 years and you managed to stay alive to be here, this is fucking living. The Sailor Sisters start hollering and capping. We've been battling through starvation, through you denying us clean water, food. We've been protecting, fighting, and you have been waging war against us, genocide, and we have been working to stay alive. The sacred room starts to transform into a rock vibe, but it's different. We see the ancestors, the thousands of years of works that Matrix have done basket making, weaving, community building, nation building, and loving. And Kelly Rowland's work starts to fade in, and a stripper pole presences itself. (laughs) And part of the scene. That's a longer scene uh, that continues to go on, but that is the part that I'm going to share with you today. A part of break that we are actually going into a workshop this Friday is to discuss... um, If we want to use anthems that we have in our, you know, culture, our shared community, our shared cultural heritage, or if we want to create our own songs. And I think, I think, I think we're going to do a little bit of a both, but I will leave this segment by playing you a little bit of Kelly Rowland's song entitled, Work. Easy, love that song and i love the concept that we're troubling the notion that there are so many violent, ignorant stereotypes about Indigenous people and our contributions to society and our ability um, to engage in rigorous activity and work within our own communities and the notion that we think that people in jail, you know, didn't have a job, couldn't get a hold of them, that they are these, like, really ignorant stereotypes that they're all thieves and these bad people. But in fact, it's been a positioning for a lot of people who are incarcerated um, in uh, in these prison systems who have been working incredibly hard, but because the system is not made for them, uh, they don't recognize the work and contributions that they give. So the stripper pole presences itself, potentially this song plays, they do an incredible dance to it, and then we may or may not add four more stripper poles to this scene. Break Horizons, A Rocking Indigenous Justice Ceremony, is a play held in a living treaty between the Arts Club Theater and the Citadel and myself. That's it, folks, for this episode of TICE. We have gone to the edges of the universe, we've gone to the genesis of the universe, and we have come all the way back. I really appreciate you listening to this episode and getting to the very end. I hope your brain feels activated. I hope your spirits feel nourished. And I hope that you feel brave and interested and ignited to continue doing all the good work that you're doing with your journeys and your artistic practice, with your uh, sectoral work and whatever that may be. I'm very excited about this ceremony in all of its complexities (laughs) and all of its uh, traversing. And if you have any questions or would like more information to read about the treaty, you can visit my website at www.kimsenklipharvey.com. From my ancestors across all of the universes through and back to this present moment in time. Wife, Honita, this is Kim Harvey. Out. Today's postscript is brought to you by Indigenizing Process. On June 19th at 9.28 a.m., I wrote 60 pages in grant writing and scholarships from one new moon to the next, and another 25 pages 10 days into the next moon cycle. I tweeted. I just remembered. I put my most recent Canada Council grant timeline on the 13 moon season cycle. Everybody on that jury is going to have to look that shit up. Emoticon where his eyes are all crumpled and his tongue sticking out. decolonizing art is about indigenizing the process. This postscript goes out to everybody on that jury who's gonna have to look up the 13 moon season cycle. Why?